0: We started yesterday, and by the way, if you're jumping on, take a minute to share this broadcast today. We're securing the family's faith. One thing that you can see very easily, just look around, the devil is after uh, the next generation, as he's always been. He wants to control the future by controlling the next generation, the children, the grandchildren, and what you see happening all over this world right now, specifically what we're dealing with in the United States of America, what's popping up in Europe, as Nancy uh, talked about yesterday, she just got back from London, seeing an abundance of this taking place. The devil is after the next generation, with everything, he's throwing everything he's got at the next generation. He can even sense, time is short, Jesus is coming, and there's a limited time. And and I'm with Barbara, I believe, not only is the next revival uh, the revival of the family, it starts with the family. I'll tell you a story to to, to begin, if you've never heard me tell this. When I was uh, a youth pastor, um, I remember having a conversation with a woman. uh, Hey Eric, good to see you buddy, looking forward to seeing you soon. Had a conversation with a woman who was the mother of one of the girls in my youth group. And she was really distraught because um, her daughter was starting to act uh, in a way that she didn't raise her to act. And she was so distraught, she was upset. And of course her daughter was in public school and coming home and um, acting very differently than how she was raised. And so the mom came to visit the church to talk to me and she was upset. Uh, And I can understand why you'd be upset if your children were, were acting Uh, Disrespectfully or or starting to drift away from the kingdom But she started to get upset and say hey Why I thought my daughter was learning how to live for the Lord in this youth group and she started freaking out And she was getting you know more and more angry. I I shut her down. I said hold on. Let's think about this for a minute um number one I said how many hours are there in a week? She didn't know off the top of her head. I told her it's 168 there are 168 hours in a week. I said, Think about this. How many hours is your daughter in public school? Well, I mean, that's about 40 hours a week. Maybe a little bit more, but it's about 40 hours a week. I said, How many hours probably is your daughter sleeping? Well, that's probably about another, um, what would you say, 90 to 100 hours a week. So, right there is 100 hours. Uh, 40 of the 168 hours. I said, where, where's the rest of that time, right? She comes to church, what, two hours, four hours a week? And then where's the rest of that time? It's with you. I was turning it back to her. I said, it's, it's with you. She's with you. She's at home. She's under your care. And she understood where I was going. That when these things start to happen, the first place we look is not the church, It's not school, it's what's happening in the home. What is happening in the home? And as Barbara's alluding to the fact that there needs to be a revival of the family, which is why I'm teaching on this this week. This is a series that I believe is extremely vital for right now in 2023. Um, We have to take actions immediately to safeguard our family's faith. We're safeguarding, safeguarding our families' faith. So what are, what are we doing? We're taking specific, calculated actions to protect our families from the spirit of this world. Let me say that again. We're taking specific, calculated actions to keep our families from the spirit of this world. And there's my wife Carolyn's on. I'm not saying that this is an exhaustive list. But these 15 things that I'm teaching over a four-day period are must-dos in your household, must-dos in your family. We covered four of them yesterday, and today I'm, I'm going to hit another four of these with verses of scripture. But as I stressed yesterday, let me stress again that it doesn't take 20 or 10 or five generations to lose Uh, The call of God The gift of God The move of God It only takes one It only takes one That's why we're Pressing on this subject That what one generation Allows in moderation The next generation Will celebrate in excess So if we raise our children uh, With the thought process That well you know Going to church Is not that important You know we go when we can You know we go when It's not nice out We like to have family days On Sunday If that's how we raise them that we go every once in a while, those children will go and and realize, well, Dad didn't think church was that important, so I'm just not going to go. Maybe we'll catch a few services online or something, but you know, it's it's not that important. So what one generation was slack about, the other generation won't even be involved with, not at all. And so we have a command in Scripture to raise our generations in godliness with the knowledge of God with the knowledge of his word, with the knowledge of his spirit, we're to train up the children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That word train is a very important word for us to focus upon. Um, One of the things that I'll do at some point, I don't know when I'll finally get to it, but uh, I have a book at some point that I'll start to write um, with Carolyn about children and how the Bible... um, compares children to arrows in your quiver. Arrows in your quiver. And it's very important to understand why um, the Bible is comparing them to arrows. Think about it. That an arrow, until it's drawn and put in the bow to fire, it's being carried in a quiver. That quiver, what does a quiver do? It doesn't just hold the arrow. How do those arrows uh, go into the quiver? Arrowhead down. So those sharp arrowheads that are prepared and meant for a purpose, that quiver actually protects them until it's time for them to be used. That's the same thing. There's a period of your child's life where they're in your quiver. You're protecting them from being dulled by the spirit of this world. You're protecting them from being broken. And then there comes a time where you take that arrow out of the quiver and you, in in archery, this is called knocking an arrow. You knock it, that means there's a little notch in the back of the arrow shaft that fits into the string and it clicks into the strings, connected. It's called knocking an arrow. You connect that arrow to the string. The string, the bow, is representative of you, the parent and grandparent. And what happens is, you can't properly, if you've ever uh, done archery at all, you'll know that you can't properly fire an arrow unless it's been knocked into that string. And so if it's not connected properly, it can't receive the force of the bow pull properly. And that's why knocking is important. Your children have to be connected to you properly through respect, through Uh, obedience through submission and when your children are properly connected to you like an arrow is knocked into the string then through that obedience submission honor respect they're able to receive all of the force of your impartation and so what takes place you knock the arrow and then you pull it back and when you pull that that bowstring back, what are you doing? You're putting all of the force of your strength behind that arrow. That's what a parent and a grandparent should do to children and grandchildren. Put all of the force and the strength behind your child behind your grandchild every bit of wisdom that you've acquired every bit of spirituality and impartation and prayer and 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 and, you know knowledge of the word everything you have should be placed behind that child behind that grandchild ready to push them forcefully into a successful future launching them into a successful future well you don't just put all that uh, uh strength of the bow pull behind the arrow. What do you do after that? You aim it. You have to be able to aim it. An arrow is seeking a target. An arrow is seeking a target. That means we should have a target for our children. We should have a target. We, it's not the arrow that aims itself. The one who's holding the bow aims the arrow we should have a target for our children. Amen. A target that can be hit. It can be hit. Godliness is a target that can be hit. Hear what I'm saying because we had a a real nut job get on the broadcast yesterday and, and begin to claim that there's no way to secure a future for your child there's no way to just guarantee that they won't you know, fall into wickedness, fall into ungodliness. No, there is a way, according to Scripture. That's the whole point of children being an arrow, training them up in the way they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart. There is a way to properly train a child. There is a way to train them unto righteousness, training unto godliness. There is a way. It's what the Bible's teaching us. And so when you aim that arrow, you're aiming it toward a target, Toward a goal before you do any releasing. You know, one of the things that I think people do too often is that they release their arrows before they're aimed. They release their arrows and they've never been knocked to the string. So don't be surprised. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised when children are not properly connected to their parents with obedience, submission, honor, respect. And then we release them out into the world and they go do whatever they want. Don't be surprised when we didn't take the time to train them in godliness. Don't be surprised if we didn't take the time to uh, create or um, generate an atmosphere of respect, honor, diligence in the things of God. Don't be surprised if we didn't take the time to do that. And then we release them into the world. They weren't properly knocked. So what happens? They don't get to have all the full force of everything that we are. So they go out and start to do whatever they want. They don't find their target. Don't be surprised if we didn't aim them at something that they don't hit the target that we uh, and Joey, I haven't I haven't hit number five yet. I'm getting ready to get into it. I'm just explaining this concept. That Don't be surprised that if we didn't have a target for them that uh, they don't hit the target that we thought they should hit. You can't know my uncle Tiff has said this for years it's a very powerful uh, quote I don't think he originated this quote. I think I've heard it other places too but think about this and put it in the uh, comments it's hard to hit a target you can't see but it's impossible to hit a target you don't have let me say that again it's hard to hit a target you can't see it's impossible to hit a target you don't have. Write that in the comments. It's hard to hit a target you can't see, but it's impossible to hit a target you don't have. I don't want my children just ending up anywhere. I want them to hit the target, the bullseye on the target. So what does that mean? One of the things it means is that Uh, we have to be able to clearly define what the target is. (laughs) If I can't clearly define the goal that I've had for my child, how could I I be upset when they don't hit hit the goal? Denise said, we've dealt with parents. I'm going to have to wait now because the comment. Denise, can you copy and paste that back in for me to see? I've always given uh, honor to Denise and Glenn. I think they've done a phenomenal job with their children. I believe they're great parents, Holy Ghost parents, and that have raised children that serve the Lord and uh, have served the Lord not just with their lives, but with their time and their talent. Liz said, what if you've done the best you could and the kid still wants to do their own thing? That's where prayer comes in. No question about it. You, you always pray for your child. There's going to come a time that you have to release them. There's going to come a time you have to release them. Uh, and that's when you're praying and believing God. Then he said, we've dealt with parents who think parenting ends at 17 and just let their kids flounder without any prior training. Yes, I totally understand. Parenting does not end at 17. It Just because... Uh, you know, they turn 18 and the government says that they're uh, a legal adult, you know, does not mean, does not mean that you stop parenting your child just because the world says they're a legal adult. Amen. I'm thankful that though I'm uh, an independent adult, that my father and my mother, they'll still give me advice. They'll still parent from, you know, advice to godly impartation I mean every area every area they'll still press in thank you they'll still press in so we have to take these we're we're aiming at a a very uh, a target that is clearly defined what do you want your child's life to look like do you want your child to be in, in financial debt do you want your child to be in broken relationships Do you want your child to be in depression and anxiety? Do you want your child to be searching and not understand what they should be doing? No, so clearly define the target. Are you you able to write down on a piece of paper or in your phone what you want your child's life to look like at 21, at 30, at 40? Are you able to clearly write that down? And if you are, are you taking the steps to launch them toward that target, toward that goal? Amen. And so I want to jump into these. I'm giving you 15 must-dos, 15 must-dos this week. I give you four yesterday. I'm going to give you four more today uh, with the scripture verses that we can't compromise. We can't. These are not optional. And again, it's not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are 15 things that I believe are vital into safeguarding, securing their faith, and Keeping them in a place protected from the spirit of this world protected from the wickedness of this world So here we are with number five for today and um, Let me let me read it to you the way I, I wrote it in my in my notes um, Set boundaries on media consumption That's number five put it in the comments number five set boundaries on media consumption. I've been blown away uh, at times, being with people at the things that their children are allowed to watch. Things that, I mean, it's pretty mind-blowing to me. So I just don't want my children to be sheltered. Okay, I also don't want them to be defiled. (laughs) I'd rather, you know, if you're gonna choose between the two extremes, I'd rather my children be sheltered than defiled Because what you've got today is a ton of content available that will defile your child's mind, that will defile their spirit. Pushing agendas, showing them things that they should never see at that age, and really probably should never see ever. Defiling their uh, minds, defiling their spirit. So what do we do as responsible parents and grandparents? We set boundaries on Media consumption. We set boundaries on media consumption. I can remember when I was in high school and I was a young high school student. I may, I may not have even been there. I might have been in eighth grade. No, I think I was a freshman. I was a freshman in high school. And um, this, this one was not on my mom or dad. My friends had told me about this movie <clears throat> that was a really good movie, th- th- according to them. Oh, this is great. this is a great movie. You know, friends from public school, you need to see this movie. This is a really great movie. And so this is back when, uh, I mean, we weren't even renting DVDs yet. We were still renting VHS tapes. And um, I was going to spend the night at my uncle, uh, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth's house, and my Aunt Colleen. And I stopped by on the way. And I don't even understand really why the rental, the the place that I went to allowed me to rent this movie, but they apparently did, because I was like 14 years old. And uh, my my friend was like, yeah, my friends were like, yeah, this is a great movie, You need to see it. I didn't know anything about it other than they said it was a great movie. And so I rented it on VHS tape and brought it over. I was gonna watch it at my uncle and aunt's house. The movie was called Pulp Fiction with John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson. And when I got there, I said, I rented this movie uh, to to watch. I heard it's really good. My aunt, Colleen Shuttlesworth, was like, I don't think so. (laughs) She had heard about this movie. She had heard about the language that's in it, the violence that's in it. And uh, she's like, "Uh, I don't think so. I was like, no, seriously, my friend said it's a good movie. And they said it's a really great, I need to see it. And I remember her taking that VHS and she's like, ah, you're not watching that. <laughs> she, she was, even my aunt understood that we need to, to set boundaries on this media consumption. And now, well, the crazy thing is that now in 2023, um, the crazy thing is it's easier than it's ever been, easier than it's ever been to access all kinds of media, to consume all kinds of media just through your phone just through your phone listen parents hear what i'm saying don't bow your knee to the opinions of the world your child does not need a smartphone at nine years old your child does not need a smartphone at eight years old i know that there's parents out there buying their kids iphones and samsung's and everything else your seven-year-old your eight-year-old i mean you're let me tell you, it, it, your 13-year-old your may not need one. You have to judge it for yourself, but you just remember something, that when you put that device in their hand, and then you, if you give them unfettered access to the world, that's why there's so many things happening right now where the government is having to do sting operations because there are people, sick people, demonic people, targeting children targeting children through social media applications and and every every other thing, through games. You know, people don't even know this, but there are people targeting your children, and it's not even through messaging on a, a messaging app. It's not even through social media. They're using the chat inside of online games to try to target children. It's been proven. They've seen it. They've done sting operations. They're catching these people, even using... Uh, the chat through Fortnite and Roblox and everything else, accessing. That's why our, you know, I told our children: if any games you're playing, you're keeping the chat off. You're not playing. I don't. It's not time for my little children to be out chatting with the world <laughs> at this age. You're not in. Uh, you're not in a position to go chatting with people on the on the internet around the world. Not doing that. And so the rule in our house is that the chat stays off if you're playing those games. And so you just need to be aware that there's an, it's easy once you put, once you do that, once you, and if you don't have a plan of action to protect them, yeah, that's right. Mike Laval said there's demonic ads in between the videos as well. You gotta guard their minds, guard their hearts. You know, we go through every single thing that our children watch, every single thing. You know, if you don't use it, go to imdb.com If you're looking for a show or movie, they've got a parent's guide for every single movie or show that's out. And and if you've never heard of that before, then you need to use it. IMDB, it stands for Internet Movie Database. InternetMovieDatabase.com, IMDB.com. And then whenever you search a movie or a show, scroll down, look at the parent's guide, and it'll give you broken down into each thing sex and nudity, violence, drug use, alcohol use, it, uh, profanity. It'll go right down and show you if there's any of that in the show or movie, and then it'll describe what it is and tell you why it's rated what it is and what's actually inside that show or movie. So that if your if your kid comes to you and says, "Hey, my friend said this is a really good show, can I watch it?" Well, I don't know anything about it. So, you know, if it's all right, if it's rated PG, just cuz it's rated PG doesn't mean it's cool for your kids. Hear what I'm saying? The stuff they're sneaking in now to these shows and movies, you know, don't think just because it's rated PG, it's cool for your kids. They're sneaking stuff in, wickedness, and you need to be aware. You need to be aware. And so there needs to be safeguards in this area because this is one of the biggest things right now that's destroying the next generation is that they keep throwing content at our kids and our teenagers, our grandkids, and then packaging it like it's fun and cool and and hip. I remember they put out a show on Netflix. I was just scrolling through Netflix, and all of a sudden, I see this show that they're doing about a teenage witch... And uh, I'm like looking at it, and you know how Netflix auto-plays the preview? It auto-plays. I'm like, what are they showing our young people? And uh, they show this whole show, and it's all upbeat pop music with a comedy edge, a comedy flair, but they're doing wicked things in this show. I mean, dark, dark, demonic magic, blood magic, death magic in these shows, and then painting it as though it's funny and cool and, you know, everybody's dressed real hip and the music's all, you know, cool and current and everything. And they're literally packaging these things to feed to our children, to get that into their spirit, to get that into their mind. And there's all kinds of things like that that are out right now, let alone, don't even get me started on free access to the internet. Don't give your children free access to the internet. Do not give your children free access to the internet. You need to have some kind of guard. Some kind of guard. Um, Ed said, what's PG today was rated R when I was a kid. I can remember even like, you know, the things that, um, (laughs) I was like, you know, the rating system that we have, the, what is it, the MPAA rating system that's on movies and stuff. It makes me laugh that you know you know things are rough when when even the world is like yeah kids probably shouldn't be seeing this and I can remember when I was a kid some of y'all will identify with this and, and I remember it was just like adventure style movies but some of you remember the Indiana Jones series and. Uh, I can remember somebody was like, yeah, you'll like that. You like adventure. You'll like that Indiana Jones. And, uh, I I don't even think that my parents knew that they had turned it on for me. And I got down into where their TV room was and I'm watching the temple of doom probably should have been just, just knew it through the, uh, through the title. But I was young, you know, I was probably like nine or 10 years old. Like, oh, you'll like this. It's an adventure movie popped it on for me. And, um, you know, temple of doom was rated PG if you can believe that, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was rated PG, and uh, I'm sitting there as a little kid, and then that cult leader rips that heart out of that guy's chest, like I'm like, holy crap, what the heck is going on? That, you know, you can't unsee those things. You know, you're nine years old, you can't unsee that stuff, and uh, then you find out later that it was one of the movies that was responsible for. The PG 13 rating. There was no PG 13 rating. There was no PG 13 rating back then. And so um, they actually had to approach the board that was doing the ratings and say, listen, we don't want an R rating because that keeps a lot of people away from seeing our movie. So can we create some kind of a rating in between PG and R? You know, that we can say, well, it's not for kids, but you know, you can be with your parents if you're 13 or so or older. And so that's, that's one of the movies that was responsible for the PG 13 rating because it was too much for kids. You, you know, it's, you know, it's rough when people that aren't saved are saying, yeah, this is too much for kids. And so they even know, but it's gotten so wicked now, like Ed said, they're trying to sneak this stuff in, trying to poison the minds of the young people. And there's propaganda. Let me tell you what I mean when I say there's propaganda since we're in the month of June. When people in this country, young people in this country, were polled about what percentage of the population do you believe identifies as LGBTQIA? Do you know that when the poll came back, people believed that it was over 30% of our population? (laughs) It's not even close to that. I believe it's less than 6%. Less than 6% of the population. But because of the way they portray it in movies and shows and commercials and books, everything, because of the way they portray it like that, people think, well, everybody's gay. Everybody's, you know, got a lesbian friend. Everybody's got a transgender friend. The way they portray it, the way they've taken control of the media and put it in front of people's faces, they think, oh yeah, everyone in America is gay. Everybody, and you'll, you're finding out real quick. That not only is not everybody in America gay and trans and everything, everybody in America, not not just Christians, everybody in America is not cool with that agenda being pushed on them. And that's what happened to Bud Light. And that's what happened to Target. And that's what's happening to these other corporations like North Face that are just making a decision to cater to less than 6% of the population and they're losing billions of dollars. Billions, billions. Because even people who are not Christians are like, that's too much, and I'm not cool with it. I'm not cool with the agenda. I'm not cool with having it pushed down my throat. There's people that don't even watch professional sports anymore. You saw what happened to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You saw that, right? After they had that that drag, those drag nuns in to celebrate whatever, the stadium was empty. I mean, empty. Nobody, I saw the pictures of the game. There was like nobody there. Nobody. People aren't cool with it. People aren't cool with it. And it has nothing to do with homophobia or bigotry or any of that. But you're not gonna push it on my kids. You're not gonna push it on my family. So you know what I'm doing? I am setting up boundaries for media consumption. My kids aren't just gonna watch everything that everybody else is watching. They're not just going to see everything that everybody else is seeing. We're guarding their hearts. We're guarding their minds. Listen to Philippians 4, 8. This is a command, by the way, from the apostle. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, it's got to be honorable, whatever is just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Think about it. Is, that, is what they're seeing honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is there excellence? Is it worthy to be praised? Or is it worthy to be condemned? So don't think about the things that are not for you. And don't allow those things to come into your Eyes to come into your ears, don't let them enter your heart, enter your spirit, and definitely do not allow them to enter the hearts, minds, spirit of your children and grandchildren. So, we're setting boundaries. First of all, one of the reasons that my children aren't going to be like everybody else is because they're not going to have the same things driven into their minds and driven into their hearts as everybody else in their generation. Your kids as well, they're not going to have the same junk pumped into their minds, pumped into their hearts, as everybody else in this generation. Not gonna have it in Jesus' name. Not going to have it. Psalm 101, let me read you Psalm 101 in verse three. Listen to this, David wrote this. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart, verse 4, shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. I will know nothing of evil. That's Psalm 101, verses 3 and 4. Let me say that first part again. I will not set before my eyes anything that's worthless. Sinful things are worthless. And I refuse to set any of that before my eyes. That's that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. Our children are not gonna see what other children are seeing. They're not gonna hear what other children are hearing. Not gonna have what other children are having. So this point number five that we've got to do immediately, got to do immediately, is setting boundaries on this media consumption. Set boundaries on media consumption. listen, Don't give your kids unfettered access. Our our kids, though they have devices, they're not allowed to watch YouTube. They can watch kids' YouTube, but they're not allowed to just browse YouTube, just randomly browse the internet for whatever they want. They're not allowed to do that. I'm not giving my children unfettered access to the internet. That's foolish. That's foolish. That's like spraying your child with raw meat scent and sending them out into the jungle. Just go out where all the lions and everybody are, just go walk through. No, not spraying my child with raw meat scent and sending them out into the jungle. And my kids don't have unfettered, my daughter's 13. She doesn't have unfettered access to the internet. And you can, you can easily Google this stuff, but there's plenty of things you can do to guard your child's device from malicious content on the internet and it's worth doing because it's worth protecting your child's mind and their heart and their spirit and their life don't let them get caught up with the rest with what the rest of this world sees don't allow it so that's number five safeguard them from this media consumption set boundaries you're the parent not them they don't set the rules you set the rules amen and I don't care if they're 15, and I don't care if they're 17 years old. They need to be protected. They need to be guarded. They're valuable. They have a purpose. And so we guard them. And this is one of the things that must be done. Number six, sixth thing that's a must do in your house. Cultivate a spirit of love, forgiveness, and grace. In the family. Let me say that again. This is number six now. Cultivate a spirit of love, forgiveness, and grace within your family. Say it one more time. Number six. Cultivate a spirit of love, forgiveness, and grace within your family. Make that a part of your family culture. Love, forgiveness, and grace. Make that a reality. Make that a reality. You say, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's not just walking in love. But your children should know and feel very loved. They should know that they are and feel very loved. They should know you're not holding a bunch of things against them. Holding grudges, bringing it up. 3 months later. I can't trust you. You know, don't and then I'll, and then part of it as was said yesterday provoking your children to anger because you can't let something go. There's no forgiveness, there's no grace. Cultivate a spirit of love. One of the things that matters more than anything. Let your children see that you love your wife and that you love your husband. Let them see you being affectionate with one another. Let them see you complimenting one another. Let them see you loving one another. And then, love them. You know, one thing my, I, I can tell you that, that, that happens is that you don't want them to leave your house and feel like they have to go and find that love somewhere else. You don't want them to have to leave your house and feel like I have to go search and find where I can gain acceptance. I have to go leave my parents' house and find a place where I can be complimented and be loved and be accepted and be forgiven. They shouldn't have to leave your house to find those things. Amen. My, My son won't have to run to 20 different girls to feel accepted and to feel loved and to feel cared about and to be complimented no his mom does plenty of that she loves on him gives him plenty of kisses tells him he's great proud of him I do the same plenty of kisses plenty of hugs I train him up but he gets plenty of kisses plenty of hugs tons of I love you's tons of I'm proud of you I think you're awesome tons of that Same with my daughters. They get tons of that, tons of kisses, tons of hugs. They're my princesses, tons of love. They're not gonna have to find it. They're not gonna have to go searching for it. It's right here. Daddy does it. Daddy does it. And so, I'm telling you, it's important, more important than people think it is. It's more important than people think it is because that's something that every person has a need for. That's a need. And I'll tell you, we've talked about it multiple times, but the same book that I've referenced that's been around forever, The Five Love Languages, they made a version for children. The Five Love Languages of Your Children, it's written from that perspective. How do you determine how your children feel loved, what their love languages are, and then what are things that you can do to engage them in those things? Make sure they're feeling that. That's right, Denise. And, and you find it, and they have, the, the Gary Chapman, who wrote the original book, they have a version for kids, Five Love Languages for Children, and go and find it. How is it? Maybe it's quality time your child needs. Maybe it's words of affirmation. Maybe they need physical touch. They need a hug. They need a kiss. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, gifts. Maybe it's acts of service. But go after it. Make sure they feel and sense the love that you have for them. Colossians 3.13, the Bible says this. For I bear him witness. or Excuse me, 313. It says, um, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I like the New Living Translation. Making room for one another's faults. Your kids will make mistakes as they're being trained. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be grace. Let there be love in that relationship. Amen. Let me give you another one to write down. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Listen to this. The Bible says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Goes a long way. Kindness, love, gentleness, peace goes a long way. And that should be in your home. That's something that, don't underestimate this. Do not underestimate this. One of the things that spurs these problems, pushes these, is that when somebody doesn't feel the love and acceptance and, that they need, they will look for it. They will look for it. Why do you think that there are young men who did not have a, a father in their home when they grew up, that are so willing, especially in these inner cities, to join gangs, why do you think that's the case? Why do you think they're so willing to flock to that? Motorcycle clubs, gangs, why? They're a part of something, there's an acceptance there, there's a mutual respect there. Guarding one another, protecting one another, the things they could not get because the father was absent, they can get as a part of a club, as a part of a gang, where they feel the camaraderie, they feel the brotherhood, they feel the acceptance. They're a part of something that they feel is important. There's people, I'm telling you, people will search for it if they don't have it. They'll search for it if they don't have it. And you don't want your children or your grandchildren to have to feel like they got to go searching for something that we could easily give them and should be biblically giving them. So cultivate a spirit of love, forgiveness, and grace in your household. Number seven, I love this one. Number seven, create spiritual disciplines as habits. That's number seven. Put this in. We talked yesterday about making sure you're studying the Bible together, praying together, teaching those things, going to church together. But let me say this. This is a very important step to this process. Creating spiritual habits excuse me, spiritual disciplines as habits. That's number seven. Create spiritual disciplines as habits. You say, why is that important? Because forming the proper habits will guide the rest of your life. As one leadership author said, if you show me a man's habits, I can tell you his future. Show me a man's habits, I can tell you his future. You can predict the future by what habits you've cultivated. And so, um, one of the great books, if you've never read it, um, I'm sorry? Oh, no, no. One of the great books, if, if you've never read it before, is, uh, is James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And uh, there's a lot of content in there that'll help you, but one of the things that um, is really, really, I'll say two things, two things that I feel like are really important in this habit formation is number one triggers and number two, habit stacking, habit stacking. I liked both of those ideas a lot from this book, triggers and habit stacking. Say, what does that mean? There is there, because what happens is one of the things that, that, creates habits in the first place is people get triggered by something. You know, they, 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 they have a habit of eating, emotional eating. Well, they notice that something, if you can identify what triggered that every time I feel overwhelmed, every time I feel, uh, sad, every time, whatever you can find the trigger that pushes you towards emotional eating, then you can switch that by every time there's a trigger, tie another habit to that trigger. You can do it. Uh, you can do it consciously. And so, set some triggers. Set some triggers. Whenever we do this, we do this. Whenever we do this, we do this. So it's a trigger, right? I'm triggering myself, you know. It's not just, um, let me give you some examples. What are some things obviously that you do every day? Every day, I've heard people teach on this for, for every, every way. You want to start journaling. Okay, what's something that you already do every day? So maybe it's your morning coffee. Every morning, I get up and make myself a cup of coffee. Every morning, and I do that. Every morning, I get up and make coffee. They say, all right, well, take that coffee. Make that the trigger, because you do it every day anyway. That's your trigger. I make my coffee, and now when I go sit at the table to make my coffee, tie that habit that you want to do every day to a habit you already have, the making and drinking of coffee. I wanna journal every day, so I'm adding my journaling to the time when I sit at the table and drink my coffee. Now I'm just putting a journal down in front of me, adding, putting a pen there, and so that I know. And one of the things that will help you create those habits with your family is by removing any of the hindrances that would make that harder, for example, with what I just mentioned, I wanna journal every day. But it's gonna be a lot, I'll just choose not to do it. If I say, well, you know, I don't know where my journal is and I gotta find a pen, I can never find a pen in this house. This house has no pens, where do all the pens go? But instead of that, then you're just gonna drink your coffee, you're not gonna journal that day. But, remove all the hindrances. The night before you go to bed, take your journal, set it on the table, find a working pen, lay it on top of that journal and be ready. Maybe before you go to bed, maybe write three prompts to yourself inside the journal that you're going to write about in the morning. What about this, this, and this? Just put them as headers. This, this, this. Now, when you wake up, you make your coffee, you sit down, your journal's already there, your pen's already there, and you don't even have to think about what to write about because you've already prompted yourself and prepped yourself. Now, all uh, all of the obstacles to you completing that habitual action have been removed they've been removed and you can just do the thing that you're doing that's tied to a habit you already have the making and drinking of your coffee that's using these triggers to form new habits so you can do the same thing with prayer you can do the same thing with with the reading of your bible set your bible on the table with a notepad and a pen Set your Bible, say, every morning I wanna read the Bible. Don't wonder what you're gonna read. Set your reading plan for the month, put it there on the table, and every morning when you get up to make your coffee, boom. Up for your coffee, maybe you have a breakfast with your children before school and before work, whatever it might be, maybe there's a time when you come home, everybody gets home from school, everybody gets home from work, you have dinner. Maybe right after dinner is your trigger because you eat dinner together every night as a family. Maybe it's the only meal you have together every day. After dinner, first thing we do after we clean the table is we sit down and have a family devotion. Set that trigger, dinner's my trigger, and after dinner, we have the family devotion. Set that habit and trigger it with something you already do every day. The other thing is habit stacking. Um, You know, For example, that's when you take something that you're gonna do and you use that same time to complete multiple habits at once. So for example, when I was... um, starting to to you know decide what i was going to do for a little bit of exercise because i have to do something even as i travel that's going to be realistic one thing i know is i can always walk i can always walk i can always go outside and walk if i need to and so one of the things i know i knew i wanted to read more books on leadership i wanted to be able to get sunlight and i wanted to be able to I read about how sunlight was so important that you get that every day for the different parts of your body, what it produces in you, and then, of course, the uh, benefits of walking, getting your 10,000 steps in, whatever, uh, on top of that. Well, I would say let's just stack those habits. So instead of me walking on a treadmill in a gym, I'm going to walk outside so that I want to get my habit of getting sunlight every day. There's that on top of the walking exercise with the earbuds in, listening to those leadership books. I've stacked three habits into one, habit stacking. Three things that I want to get done every day, but I'll put them all into one time slot, one time period, see what I mean? So you can stack these things on top of each other to accomplish more of them, but you've got to set spiritual disciplines. You've got to, you've got to. Uh, One of the things that, that for your children, they've got to have, is they've got to have this ability to um, know God's word, to know God's voice. Those two things, I think more than anything for a child, for the next generation, are vital. You've got to know what God's word says and be taught how to know God's voice. Be led by the Spirit. There's nothing more important than knowing God's word and knowing how to hear his voice when he speaks to you. Nothing is more important than that. Nothing. So, they've gotta be trained as spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. The Bible commands us to be able to give an answer, right, to anybody that has a question regarding the hope that we have. How can we do that if we've not habitually studied the Bible, right? We're to be led by the Spirit of God. How can we do that if we've never habitually taught ourselves how to hear the voice of the Spirit? So set these things. That's number seven. Set spiritual disciplines as habits. Create these habits in your family. Make them like family traditions. Make your habits like traditions. It'll change your whole family. Let me give you one more for today before we pray. Huh? This one. I wish more people did this. This is beyond reading the Bible, this is beyond prayer. But number eight, equip your family with a solid foundation of biblical knowledge. Equip your family, if you wanna shorten it for the comments, equip your family with biblical knowledge. Equip your family with biblical knowledge. You say, what do you mean by that? Your family will face Pushback in this culture, in this world, against the Christian worldview. There's no question about it. They will face it. They'll face it at school, public school. They'll face it when they go to university. They'll face it in the workplace. They'll face it in the culture. Everywhere. There's a pushback against the Christian worldview. That's the Antichrist spirit, the Antichrist system. One of the things that happens, as I was talking about the arrows earlier, is that we launch the arrows out into the world without any preparation. You can't do that. You can't do that. You have to equip and prepare your children and grandchildren to go out into this world before they go, knowing what they're gonna hear. So here's some questions to ask yourself if you wanna write these down, and and you should write them down. Number one, what arguments are my children gonna face regarding Christianity? What are the main arguments my children are gonna face regarding Christianity? That's a very important question. You don't want your child going to some secular university. Well, you don't want them going there, period. But if they go to some secular university, Some liberal hotbed of propaganda. One professor gets up and gives a lecture and talks and tries to debunk and bring doubt to the Bible. Well, the Bible is just a bunch of documents full of errors, full of inconsistencies, written by men. You know, much of it's been changed over the years. Okay, there's an argument. The Bible can't be God's word because it was just written by men It's full of inconsistencies and errors. It's been changed over the years. So how would you train your children to say like, listen, is the Bible not God's word because it was written by men? That's A. B, is it full of inconsistencies and errors? That's the second question. C, has it changed over the years? well, you know, the Bible's been changed so many times over the years, we can never know what it said originally. Oh, is that true? Is that true? And to answer the question, no, it's not true. In fact, they, fi- they, they continue to find documents, older and older documents, that continue to support the fact that we have the same Bible now that they had in the first century, the same New Testament now that they had in the first century. Same one now. I mean, it blows scholars' minds to see the consistency with which the scripture was translated. Blows their minds. Blows their minds. And so, you gotta answer those questions. Because then what do you want your, your, your child or grandchild coming back from college? Well, you know, I don't think the Bible's true. You know, the Bible's just an old document that was written by men that you know, is full of inconsistencies and errors and changed over the years. It's changed so many. Is that what you want them come back believing? Or should they already have the answers to those questions? Well, you know, we don't even know, historically, if Jesus really even existed as a human on the earth. We really don't know. Oh, is that true? Do we really not know whether or not Jesus Christ existed as a historical figure? No, it's not true. That's actually a very foolish thing to believe. We have more documentation that Jesus Christ existed than we do that Julius Caesar existed. We have more historical documentation that Jesus Christ existed than that Julius Caesar existed? Yes we do, yes we do. And so don't we want our children to know these things? Okay, well this is a solid foundation of biblical knowledge. A solid foundation of biblical knowledge. It's what we might call a form of apologetics. I've, I talked about that yesterday. Apologetics is just the, the discipline of being able to properly explain why you believe what you believe. It's the, word, the Greek word apologia, which we, where we get from 1 Peter 3.15, that we're to make a defense. Make a defense. Like a lawyer would make a case for what they believe. That's what we're required to do as Christians. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to do that. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We've got to answer the whys because they're important whys. I refuse to let my children's faith be shipwrecked because they don't understand the answers to some of these very easy questions. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 11, and I'm gonna read you verse 19. The Bible says, you shall teach them, let me read verse 18 as well. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That means that we should always, always be talking about Scripture, the Bible, Jess Burton says, Brooke had misinformation issues in her religion class at her Christian university. We had to bust out the date to school the professor. Even Christian universities don't get it right. That's exactly right. You have to know what you believe. You gotta know what you believe. You have to have this information intact for your children, for your grandchildren. Let me read you Psalm 78. Listen to this now. Psalm 78, verse four. If you're taking notes, you can put all these down. Psalm 78, verse 4. We will not... Actually, let me go back to verse 2. Psalm 78, verses 2 through 4. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that he has done. I'll not hide these things from my children. I will discuss them day and night. They'll know. My kids will know. They're being trained. Amen. Do you know what? I was thinking about this and praying the other day. To take parenting seriously. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I, I, I started to get my spirit. You can put this down. Parenting is truly a lifelong discipleship program put it in the comments at least until they're 18 or 21 i would say parenting is a 21 year discipleship program amen parenting is a 21 year discipleship program being trained to know what they should know these are vital men these are vital solid foundation of god's word a solid foundation of God's word. That's right. Put it in the comments. Parenting's a 21-year discipleship program. Amen. I'm training them up in the way they should go, when they're old they'll not depart. If we'll set these things in place. I'm teaching you this week. If we'll set these things in place, you'll see your children flourish. They will be mighty in the land. They will be mighty in the land they will accomplish great things in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for every person that's watching. Those that have children, they're believing that they will be mighty in the land, that they'll serve the Lord with their whole heart, that they'll stay on course for the rest of their life. That's what your word promises us, and we're believing it. And we're we're setting our faith that our children will be on fire for God. Lord, let them be filled with the Holy Ghost at the earliest possible age in the mighty name of Jesus, filled with your Holy Spirit. At the earliest possible age. Use our children and our grandchildren. Use our families. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what's going on in this world system, it will not affect our homes in Jesus' name. It will not come upon our children in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that we will see your goodness manifested in our families, in our homes, in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe that today, shout aloud amen. Put an amen in the comments section. And Start to give God thanks that your children will be head and shoulders above the rest. Head and shoulders above the rest. In Jesus' mighty name. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.